Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Khan with the news. An assault on Dairy's Paul Bunyan statue was thwarted by local authorities today. Reports of a group of gazebos, a statue's natural predator, fleeing the scene have been confirmed. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hello there, constant readers. And today we are covering the miniseries, The Tommyknockers, and Josh is leading our discussion. What a glorious day to lead a discussion, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, Listeners, we just finished uh, the first time in so long that we've been able to sit and watch something together, which felt so great. It did. Just cracking wise all the way through this. And if you're looking for a movie to crack wise, this is a good go-to. The, the second half is a good go-to. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it definitely suffers from uh, Rose Red Syndrome, where that middle section, if this was a three-parter, because it's two hour and a half episodes and not three single hour episodes, it definitely falls into that same middle ground as like kind of, okay, that's, that's some stuff's happening, I guess. Sitting through this, I was kind of awestruck at how much of the book they managed to fix and yeah. improve upon mm-hmm. while still remaining <laughs> shitty. <laughs> it's, is this much like how I described the book? Is it good? No. Did I enjoy it? Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> One of the things that threw us very early on is the beginning, the opening credits is uh, Jimmy Smith, who's playing Gardner. Okay, stop. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Smith's not a guard, not guard. No, no, that made no sense. But was he the gardener that they wrote for the miniseries? He's definitely not the book gardener. <laughs> That's a good point yeah. because it might as well be a different character. Yeah, the book in or the gardener in the book is definitely like scrawny and malnourished in my head. Yeah, and just like a slimy guy. But I don't think they were trying to make Gardner Gardner in this miniseries. This this version of Gardner is the it's a step below John McClane in Die Hard, where it's the 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 guy who's not supposed to be the action hero having to do action hero things. And he doesn't do any of those action hero things until the very end. But he eventually like gets up to that point and, and does them. He kind of does what you wanted him to do in the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting because uh, the character of Jim Gardner is kind of the whole miniseries in miniature in that in trying to make it appeal more broadly, they took out all of the weird stuff that made the book baffling, but also all of the weird stuff that made it interesting. They made it work as a story, but but a boring story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a don't don't raise any questions you're not prepared to answer. 
in this series is what I feel like they tried to do. Yeah. I, I've never been at the same time pleased and disappointed. Like, I agree yeah. with that, and it sucks. And that was great, and I wish they would have done it different. I'm, like, my brain just cannot decide where it lands on this. It's such a weird viewing experience <laughs> after having read the book, because you're like, yeah, this makes, the the structure makes more sense. Oh, yeah, for All sure. All the, the stuff they removed. Yes, they should have removed it, but then... Jimmy Smith's and what's her name make out, and you're like, I don't think I like this. Oh, we have okay. to talk. I didn't about, ask for I this. I need a solid five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mar- Marge Helgenberger plays Bobby, and CM just just run off with this. And this has nothing to do with her acting, her portrayal of Bobby, and it has nothing to do with Jimmy's portrayal of Gardner. But these two human beings, <laughs> as like actual real life people. <laughs> could not have obviously wanted to touch each other less. <laughs> and my my joke that I made was it was like a brother making out with his brother. <laughs> <laughs> that they go for it. They go tongue they first, they but try. it's not it's not a pleasant viewing experience. There's only one scene where their chemistry with quotes around it made sense and that was later when they're going to make love and she's um, further in her becoming and, and is, you know, her body's kind of falling apart or whatever. And he seems a little bit like, "Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. (laughs) But that was his reaction to her from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) But he powered through that love making like a champ. (laughs) And and she's a good looking lady. He's a good looking dude. I I don't know. They just no chemistry. So we, the, the relationship is just immediately different. In, in the book, there is there is a complex relationship. There, There's one of the reasons that their relationship is so tenuous is because they've had oh, so many hard times, but then also these magnificent, wonderful, good times. And so in the book, it felt like their relationship was always something that could have easily be damaged. And so guard was so scared of destroying mm-hmm. the only relationship that ever meant anything to him. Mm-hmm. Guards best friends with everyone in this town, I guess. Yeah. yeah the, they, the, the relationship between Bobby and guard in the book is so like real and nuanced. Yeah. And in this guards, just a great guy <laughs> that <laughs> fucked up. He, he fell off the wagon once, but nothing bad happened. Other than he fell out of a second story door? God, that was that awesome. Was, I think we are all over We're, the place. Let's, we, we'll, we'll, let's pull it back. We to the literally beginning. just finished it. We are giddy, <laughs> we are giddy with uh, the experience of yes. watching this Man. fucking show. Uh, so, it, it, the opening. Let's get back to the opening. It's images of the woods and guard running around yelling for Bobby. A scene that never happens in the movie, by the way. But... Uh, describes what we refer to as the shine a little bit mm. better yes. on screen. Yeah, him running through the the sound of children singing the Tommyknocker song uh, is playing in the background and it goes around town and we get a glimpse of everybody living their normal day-to-day life before we actually get started. And it doesn't start off the same way with the book as Bobby tripping over this this piece of metal. It goes literally everywhere else but Bobby. It, we go to Guard, who's at an AA meeting, who is signed on to do a new poem. And he's so nervous, he's not going to be able to do it without drinking. 
we see right Ed. away a, a <laughs> flag of I'm like, oh, they're trying to make guard sympathetic. Like <laughs> he's not going to be the utter shit bag that we know from the book because he's actively trying to get better. Something we never see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We jump over to Ev giving Hilly his magic kit. And then for no reason whatsoever saying that uh, the big engine woods are magic, (laughs) Uh which is just a strange thing to tell a child that you just gave a magic kit to. Uh, and we find out that uh, Ruth... I wish that's how I got my magic kit. I, I hadn't thought of it during the movie. That, that scene was basically, Happy birthday, Hilly. Enjoy this magic kit. Never go into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so backwards because he's like, I love magic. This is great for magic. Also, woods nearby, they're magic. Don't do it. Uh, And then we get what might be my favorite twist or my favorite change to the book from the book. God, I know what you're going to say. Is that the dollhouse is conveniently in the police station. (laughs) Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. And uh, for whatever reason, they changed Ruth McCausland to Ruth Merrill. I think just wanting to get that Merrill reference, which is such an odd name for like almost every King thing, I feel like. Tries to throw that name in there when it doesn't belong. Yeah, the they because this uh, Tommy Knockers was the book he wrote right after it. Yeah, and wasn't Ace Merrill was the bad guy in it, or like the mm-hmm. the yeah. bully in it. So yeah, that they wanted to name the brave police chief and be like, hey, remember that evil greaser uh, <laughs> from the other book people like? Can we? Talk, since we're since we're talking about characters, can we talk about the sexiest character? And I'm not talking about the Tracy Lords, <laughs> <laughs> the irresistible mailman. No, the irresist- irresistible monster, Dugan. <laughs> oh my god! CM left the room, and we made her <laughs> rewind because Ruth is talking to just in a very average kind of dumpy looking police officer looks like like Sipowitz from uh hill street blues yes is that the show yes and i just i managed to clock that his name tag said dugan and i just started saying no 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 (laughs) and we made cm come back and watch it so she could pick out the reveal as well not monster Mm-mm. Not monster in any way, shape, or form. That's the only thing I don't agree with. I disagree with that harder than Jimmy is Gardner. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. It, the, if there's any character, is that's a weird way to to pin this down. But if I were to pick one character that I wanted to be as close to the book as possible, it'd probably be Monster. Mm-hmm. Something else they change is uh, Roberta Paulson. That was yeah. him, right? Oh, yeah. yes, um, I love that, though. Was, this is a fantastic change. Yes. Uh, they made her not awful. Mm-hmm. She's actually one of the best characters in the <laughs> thing. She's a uh, deputy or something. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. like the clerk at the police station. And, and she's, like, flighty and just a, one of those strange, interesting characters. Mm-hmm. She reminded me of, like, a Twin Peaks character. Yes. Yeah. A lot of this felt very... Low rent Twin Peaks, <laughs> but uh, she, yeah, that's a, a great change. Mm-hmm. I think that they made this character actually likable, so that when uh, all of the terrible things that happen to her happen, you're like, oh, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you her actually murder care. Is, her, her, the murder she does is justified. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. She was probably my favorite. I liked her better mm-hmm. than Bobby. Bobby was just sort of one-dimensional. Yeah, it, you didn't get a sense of her, her personality nearly as much. Because in the book, she's so, like, you get a sense of how she's kind of standoffish, how she's very talented you can feel like she feels like a person Mm -hmm. whereas here she's just like a lady who finds a thing in the woods there's no transition that's really obvious when she starts to become because Mm -hmm. we so let's let's get to her finding the spaceship Uh, she's going out playing catch with peter who is very blind she throws the ball runs after it trips over it and falls down goes back to it touches it and she says it burns her and then it zaps her dog in the face. And this is right, right after meeting her. Yeah. And then we don't get anything else of her except like from that moment on, it's like she's high and giddy for the rest of the movie. The way she gradually, the more she's affected, she plays it as though she's drunk, which is, Another change where in the book, there's not a single mention of nuclear power in this well, entire a, at the party, one. At the party. Oh, yeah, I guess I, I, I forgot. <laughs> but it is so it, it's not a five page long screed. Mm-hmm. It's not a recurring theme at all. It is very specifically about addiction to the point where at one point. Gardner yells, does it matter if it's coming out of a bottle or the ground? (laughs) And it's like, oh, okay, you're hitting the nail on the head. (laughs) Remember, guys, addiction. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Although I did like that because I feel like that's really what the book was more about. And and you kind of lose that. Like, wait, is this about nuclear power or addiction? Definitely. Uh, It is a positive change. Uh, It's just the way Bobby (laughs) plays it. (laughs) Uh, let's let's talk about. I want to talk about the vet scene and the <laughs> the poetry. So let's let's start with the vet scene. Uh, CM, tell us a little bit about what happens at the vet. So it's set up much the same way as the book. She's in there with the doctor, and the doctor's like, "Oh yeah, I know his eye does look better. Doesn't seem too concerned." And then we hear a commotion outside, and a, a vet tech comes in and says, "Hey, doctor, we need you." And Peter starts flipping out, and this this dog, you guys, just <laughs> looks so darn happy just the whole the, time. It's the happiest dog I've ever seen. And, and, and the actress is, I mean, she's trying so hard to react to him like she's afraid, <laughs> but he's just His so His tail kind. is wagging so oh much. Gosh. He's the least threatening dog they ever could have found. And I, I did like this change. And st- so when she comes out with him into the waiting area and there are all these pets, <laughs> instead of it getting that scene with the the woman who got bit by her, was it Chihuahua or something? Yeah, a little something. tiny dog. And that whole business. It's just like somehow the small town of Haven Falls has all of these exotic animals. <laughs> there, there are a few, a few dogs. I think there's a cat. Then there's just an owl. A massive owl, a cobra, and a dragon? (laughs) Yeah, there's a guy sitting there with his, you know, pet monitor lizard. And I'm like, oh, yeah, rural Maine. (laughs) Classic lizard climate. (laughs) 
<laughs> it just it was so insane. Like they just like they had people call off that day who were going to bring their dogs to be extras. They were like, God, what do we got? What's here? Uh, okay. That was great. But I'm so excited to talk about the poetry reading and the party. Uh, ben, how long are poems? <laughs> <laughs> I I did enjoy how they, they adapted this from the book because, of course, in the book... Uh, what is, what do they say? They literally say his poem is like he goes on for 20 minutes reading uh, this poem. Well, they change it where he's not reading the poem from the book because they can't say motherfucker (laughs) on network television in the early 90s. It's, it's this just generic ass love poem that Jimmy Smith reads just monotone (laughs) but they keep they do that time progressing thing where it'll fade out in the middle of one sentence and then go on and it does it three times and just keeps cutting to the audience and they're just like oh the couples are holding hands (laughs) that weren't holding hands before my my favorite part actually is that some people in the audience are acting like that and then the rest of them are just staring blankly. <laughs> which makes the standing ovation hysterical. <laughs> the guy who stands up and starts it has all the confidence in the world in his standing <laughs> ovation, though. They really got to him. Man, the party, though. The party had everything I wanted. Yes. The I laughed at the argle-bargle thing because he just drinks a full mouthful of vodka and then says, argle-bargle. <laughs> he gargle-bargles her name. Yeah. <laughs> Pouring the uh, vodka down Patricia's dress was fucking great. Uh, him beating the guy with an umbrella, so great. Well, he he doesn't beat him with it. He yeah taunts him he, with it. He opens it and closes it at him, <laughs> yelling "Arriba!" He does what I know we all have wanted to do with an umbrella at one point in our lives. <laughs> How can you not open an umbrella and just feel that energy? <laughs> but it ends in the just the only way this scene should have ended, with him just trying to like take control of the room and dramatically saying, and if you only remember one thing, remember this. God hates a coward. Dramatic exit out a window. It's not even a... It is a full-length door that he opens, and it's just hanging out of the second story. It's madness. But I do like... He falls, he crash lands, cut to him waking up on the beach, Mm -hmm. which I thought was such a great way to show that that blackout and his confusion. I thought that was awesome. Uh, it, It was a great scene, but I... I think it's not as effective because he wakes up at the beach and like does the look up at the sky and scream, what have I done now? And the answer is not much in the book. We, he may or may not have killed a guy because he, you know, he, he elbows Argle Bargle and he's like my heart. Yeah. And then later in the book, the, someone mentions that or he thinks that he killed him and then he's never mentioned again whatever mm. but in this we don't that doesn't happen he just falls out of a window and wakes up on a beach it's like <laughs> you got drunk real bad right it's not like he it's, woke up with like a gun in his hand yeah it doesn't have the same effect 
especially when he does not have the history mm-hmm. of shooting his wife in the face. Yes. <laughs> they, if that happened, they never brought it up. <laughs> okay, that would be crazy when Jimmy Smith, <laughs> just as an actor, is like, I know I shot my wife in the face. It's not in the text, but I'm going to play it that way. But he does that without having read the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of his characters have that same secret. God, but when one of the most insane things in this insane series, when Guard finally gets to the ship and he touches it, and the steel plate bulges out of his forehead. I loved that. What the? F- that was. That's not how it works. No, but <laughs> that's it's not how a steel plate works. Oh, it's so good though. Unless the <laughs> ship is magnetic. It's a very cool effect, and it's one of. There's so much of the book that I was like, how can they adapt this? Mm-hmm. Especially like in the early '90s. I mean, if you try to adapt it today, there are scenes that I'm like, I don't know how you portray the town becoming a hive mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to portray portray the inside screens of the spaceship. All that. Yeah. This, I feel like, the bulging out of his head is a great visual storytelling technique. Yes. Of, I bet that hurts like hell. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of different ways they've kind of handled showing this story a little bit, uh, what did you guys think of uh, Hilly's magic journey? The first one is him doing it in, in the middle of show and tell, it looks like. And it goes off successfully. The The kids all love it until he does a trick that, like, uh, a Looney Tunes cartoon comedically blows up in the teacher's face and he just has black soot all over him. Yeah, his beak's on the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he turns it around. He calls Hilly despicable. Um, but here's also something that is strange about that. That happens and Hilly is mortified. Sure. It didn't go the way as planned, but if I ever saw that happen to one of my teachers and I was a kid in that class, (laughs) I'd be losing my mind. Most popular kid in school. Wild success. You just pranked your teacher, but Hilly just takes himself to a dark place. (laughs) Hilly's story I mean, is, one like we said in the book, like one of the most memorable parts of the book. And I think they do a really good job in that he's the first character introduced to us. Yeah. Really? After, like, Gardner's weird vision, we're introduced to Hilly and his brother and his shitty dad. His dad sucks. Yeah, yeah his dad does. really sucks. And I was, like, really excited because I was like, oh, they're introducing the characters that are important. And and it's not two-thirds of the way through the book. That's cool. (laughs) Bold choice, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, a film. You can put it anywhere. (laughs) Classic film argument. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's the same thing as the book where it gets to his big show. He's invented his teleporter. He's really what, the first person really affected by the Tommy Yeah, Knockers. the first gadget yeah. person. And he disappears his brother, and then it's not really relevant to the plot again until the very end. Yeah, they kind of drop that thread, but they also do that in the book. Yeah. The, like, it's, David's disappearance is used, it's, it's used in the book to, it keeps Ruth distracted for a long time. It, mm-hmm. it leads to, 
the that delay that ends up letting her blow up the town hall all these things well like, it builds on you know once she's blown up the town hall not only do we have that but we have the missing boy then yeah the dead ruth the missing troopers who it so it yeah you're right in the book we get to the point where our characters are putting all these pieces together and you know outside of the town people are starting to question what's happening and of course this is all contained inside the town so we don't get that yeah and this uh ev grabs hilly takes him to the hospital and then the town just kind of forgets about David for a while. I kind of forgot. Actually, Ben <laughs> kind of forgot because he's like, why aren't the parents going to the hospital? And Josh and I are like, well, because their other son's missing. Maybe they want to stay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super weird that in the movie they decided to give his shitty dad a more of an arc than Hilly or yeah. Ev, really. What did you guys think of the changes uh, for uh, Nancy Voss? They, she She's played by Tracy Lords and is just a uh, blonde bombshell who is just wants to have sex with everyone all the time and thinks that Joe, uh, Becca's husband, is just the hottest man alive, <laughs> can't get enough. And in the book, she's she's what, like in her 50s mm-hmm. and like kind of just average looking yeah they're they're just two people yeah it's like not i mean it's scandalous but it's not this like weird cartoonish <laughs> high school sex romp this like was this story would be their characters together were what i would imagine a 14 year old boy would write for them <laughs> yeah <laughs> this this nancy's a sex addict like she has a problem <laughs> yeah it's it, her whole thing, I think, was best summed up in the episode or in the scene after Joe has died, which they do that whole part. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. We have to talk well, about that first. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's let's get into to to Joe and Becca. Ben, you want to take it away? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, in the IMDb trivia, which obviously I was uh, browsing instead of watching the boring parts. <laughs> Uh, did you guys know that that story, the story of uh, Becca Paulson, was originally a short story? No. Stephen oh. King wrote it as a short story, and then he showed it around to people, and he loved it so much that he just put it in this book. <laughs> that makes sense for this book. Right? Yeah. It does. Like, I think we might have said it. We that talked a about few that, bits, yeah. Like, Hilly's part, you could take that out, and it's just a short story. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. He was just like, I have a few short stories. It's a book now. Um, (laughs) But anyway, the way they do Becca Paulson, like I said, she's a lovable, weird She's an angel. She just loves her husband so much. And she, yeah, she's like making efforts to like uh, keep her marriage together. And her husband is a cartoon. A cartoon misogynist. A a cartoon misogynist. And it beat for beat, it pretty much goes, except for the best change in the show. There's no talking Jesus. Instead, she's told how to kill her husband by dollar store Chuck Woolery. (laughs) She's shown watching this like cheesy uh, 90s dating game show. And in a scene, the host just starts talking to her, and it's fantastic. It's so good. 
I loved it. Yeah. And they're not even trying to hide their affair either. So she could have very easily found out <laughs> literally any other way. She could have stumbled upon them. <laughs> Several people in town see them I and know. just say yeah. nothing. So she she's guided by this dating show host to build this contraption. And as she's having doubts, he's reassuring her like, no, you know, you're doing the right thing. He is cheating on you. It's, you know, there's no excuse. And so Joe comes home and he's like, oh, we got to change the channel. This I don't want to watch this crap. And she's like, change it your damn self. And then she starts <laughs> eating a cracker. And he's like, what? And she's like, we're having to change it. <laughs> it was so <laughs> the weirdest choice. And I love it. And uh, he, in an interesting twist, you know, he touches the TV and he gets electrocuted. His eyes don't explode out of his head. She doesn't run up to him, you know, like regretting her decision. And it's no, too late. she's fucking fine. Yeah, she's, yeah. <laughs> and the house doesn't catch on fire. Uh, unfortunately for her, which is very, very sad ending. She, the next time we see her, it's just a very brief shot and nothing is mentioned again about it. She is uh, in a straight jacket in a padded room. Singing the Tommyknockers song in her creepy... Uh, the teacher from recess voice <laughs> because she voiced from the teacher from recess. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that part was great, but that does lead us back to uh, Nancy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, her defining moment in the graveyard after Joe has been killed. And she kneels down, she's wearing all black with the <laughs> vampy black hat with the veil. And she gives this speech of, I really miss you. And I really, we had a lot of fun, but I got to move on with my life because I'm inventing stuff like this lipstick. And she pulls out a lipstick and turns a statue into goobs (laughs) and then (laughs) stands up and goes, I got to go on with my life and takes off her coat (laughs) in a dramatic RuPaul Drag Race style (laughs) reveal of... A Jessica Rabbit red dress. <laughs> <laughs> and that that just boils that whole character down into one scene. And then that character never changes from that attitude the rest of the time. You know, I, I like it. I, honestly, yeah. me too. Yeah. She's I, You know what I thought you were going to talk about? Not the, the gravestone, but the end of part one, the fireworks. <laughs> because... They, as we talked about, David's been missing, and then <laughs> he, this guy dies, and they play the national anthem, and they fire off a bunch of fireworks to celebrate him, and his wife's not up there because she killed him, and instead Nancy's sitting there. That scene was weird, because so as weird. The, Ruth is giving a speech about the terrible things that have happened in the town, and how they're worried, you know, they're going to keep searching for Davy, and... Poor Joe, you know, he was respected or whatever. And then the Nash, the, the anthem's playing, like, over all of this. And you can tell everybody's just looking at her like, can we start the fireworks now? We all know why we're here. Fireworks all becoming green and yeah, we stare at them. They're Tommyknocker fireworks. <laughs> uh, so that's the, the end of part one. Before we, we move on, what are your guys' thoughts on all the inventions and how they handle the inventions that we've seen so far? I believe to this point we've seen the uh, the disappearing machine. We've seen the word accordion, which is a, just I love the name of that invention. 
Uh, we've seen a few other ones. Hot water heater. The, the hot, hot water, water heater. heater. Oh, yeah, of course, the hot water heater. I was so ready for them to look dumb as hell. Because reading the book, every single invention I am in my head, the way I imagined it, a bunch of D-cells in an egg carton that somehow run a miniature stu- sun, that's fucking stupid. It, I was so ready <laughs> for it to look stupid. Yeah, and they, it doesn't. No. They do a great job at some of the production design of, of the Tommyknocker stuff that looks just sci-fi enough. I liked it. I agree. I The lipstick thing was cool because it wasn't attached to batteries and egg cartons. It was just the self-contained thing. And it makes more sense, like, sci-fi-wise. Like, where is this power? How did she do that? It was a little more intriguing. Yeah. I think of all the inventions we saw in part one, I think my favorite was the disappearing machine. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I... I know in the book they talk about him operating the pedal and all that stuff, but with like visually seeing, you know, that the platform, there's just no open space mm-hmm. or it's all open space beneath it. And he's just like tapping on it to get it go. I thought that was a really cool way to illustrate. And that. when they, they take the blanket off and you can so clearly see that it started out as like just a sewing machine table. Really? It's really cool. It mm-hmm. looks, it's a weird thing of like, Something that sounds so corny in the book actually looking looking really uh, interesting. I, I think they did a great job. The one thing I couldn't decide on, I'd like to see it side by side, which is impossible. But uh, the because you can tell that the practical effects that they're using on set, they are green lights. Mm. But then in post, they put an extra green glow effect and it's very 90s. Yes. The, the green glow. I feel like you can just say, you know, that 90s glow and everybody just knows immediately what (laughs) you think, what you're saying. But I'd be interested to see, because like for some shots, adding that extra glow kind of took me out of how cool something was. And sometimes it had the opposite effect. So I wonder. It only did that for me when it was when it was the shots that had nothing to do with the inventions. When the glow was around the inventions or associated with those I was super into it. And this happened more in part two when it's just green glow randomly by itself. (laughs) Like the scene uh, early on where um, Gardner has just come home and he goes up and uh, has sex with Bobby very uncomfortably. (sighs) And Joe and Nancy are out in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because <laughs> they brought two cars, but they take one. It, it doesn't matter. But they're in a car out in the woods, and all of a sudden the car has green glow under it and shakes around as though Bobby is uh, telekinetically God. making it rock <laughs> with, with her, her fucking. It's her orgasm. Is am I the only one that no, got that? Or, That's no, what yeah. it was, right? As soon as she stopped having sex, it stopped. It stopped, yeah. right? Yeah. She is their leader. <laughs> I, orgasm magic. Oh god, guys, we all the way through the first half, we have not talked about the ship. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. First the, of all, Orgasm Magic, my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the ship looks like a skate park. It does. <laughs> and it and the, she touches it and it glows green. The, the only thing I could think of as like they're they're digging out all these chunks of varying height. And so like, the, the description of it as a skate park is just perfect. <laughs> Uh, the other idea I had was it's the most confused podium I've ever seen. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're all differing heights and it's super weird. But I, I was thinking, man, when are we going to get the scene where Bobby is like, I can use a compass to figure out how big this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is all just random boxes of gray It looks like nothing. marble platforms just spread yeah. jutting at random. Levels, yeah, it's, throughout the woods. And part of the appeal was that they they were like, oh, this is crashed in sideways. Uh-huh. And so we are starting at one end. And as we go down, we're also going out. And this was just like uncovering a city block. Yeah. Yeah, there is no point. I'm just realizing this now. There's no point in the digging up process that any of them should have gone, gone this is a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, the glowing green, maybe. I guess. Arguably. I, honestly, my first thought, if I had dug it up, it would be like, who buried the aggro crag out here? <laughs> <laughs> Man, the cast of guts fell on real hard times. <laughs> they had to hide to the aggro crag before it got repossessed. It was such a weird choice. And I get that practically, it's much more monetarily feasible to bury a bunch of cubes. <laughs> As opposed to trying to illustrate I, that widely excavated I think site. they did that because what I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed that this as well, as they were digging and digging over the course of, I think, months, <laughs> the same amount of these platforms that is the ship, it just stayed the same. Yeah. <laughs> they, just, they do not dig down. They dig out. Yes. It's nonsense. <laughs> does, yeah, it absolutely. It makes no sense at all. It would be one thing if you could see everything was uncovered and they were still just moving up. But no, there's still just clumps of dirt everywhere. <laughs> In fact, later when we find the hatch, the hatch was just under a pile of dirt at around. the surface level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like they accidentally covered it. Like they're like, well, that, that platform is meaningless. <laughs> we'll never have a use for this. What is everything else is square. This has got other angles. That's stupid. <laughs> Bury it. Uh, we all shared also the the same moment when we started part two, because part two starts off with the exact same opening as part one, which includes characters who are now dead. It was so confusing for me because I'm the one who flipped the disc over, and I had a moment where I had to seriously ask myself, did I flip the disc over? <laughs> Very was, confusing. There was one minute... Where I was just like, oh no, it's starting again. <laughs> it is starting from the beginning and we have to watch it all again. Uh, okay, so the second half, one of the very first interactions let me know that I was going to leave this movie happy. <laughs> Monster comes in and he finally tells Ruth about all of his feelings. Wait. And he's holding. Can you guys please reenact this? <laughs> scene together because yes. it yes. was so aw shucks gee and yeah. i'm gonna turn away all vulnerable all right wait who's who uh, uh, i'm i'm monster of course of course ruth uh you know your dead husband was 
such a great man. The, the best person I've ever met. And I don't know how uh, you could ever be interested in anybody else but your dead husband who's dead. But do you think maybe, maybe someday, I have, I've had these, no, don't say anything. Oh, monster. <clears throat> you have so much forehead, how can't I love you? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> you have so much forehead. <laughs> Thank you, Yeah, guys. That, was, that was pretty much it. Uh, and then, she she says she she is is interested in him and they talk about going on a date and he's drinking uh, a cola cool which is the same design as Coca Cola but oh, obviously yes. and she's like if you keep drinking those that sugar's gonna kill you <laughs> and I slowly turned my head to Ben <laughs> because all through part one people have stopped by this cola machine. And gotten a cola, like, and there have been people coming in and, like, working on it because they say it's running funky. And every time they show it, I'm just staring at it. <laughs> and I'm like, this better happen. But there was no hint of it. And then when that part happened at the beginning of part two, I was like, yes. But I will admit, until it happened, I was very nervous, you guys. <laughs> Josh, I'm curious, since you loved that part the most, how you feel about the change? Uh, all right. Well, yeah. Well, well, we can jump to to the the death, death by cola. <laughs> I I really enjoyed it. It wasn't as satisfying as seeing a levitating Coca Cola machine crush a human skull by any stretch of the imagination. But the way they do it is he go he buys a soda and the bottle doesn't come out all the way, so he reaches his arm in, and the little clamp locks his arm into place. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those old-timey soda yeah. machines where you open the little door and the soda's, like, in... They're, like, stacked vertically in the yeah. glass bottles. <laughs> and when he reaches in, yeah, it's... The the hole he reaches into <laughs> has big, sharp <laughs> metal teeth. It's like the Hellraiser pop it, machine. <laughs> it is a saw Yes, trap. I was like, it's, oh, this is 100% a jigsaw trap. <laughs> And it latches onto his arm. And the one mistake that, uh, something that I wanted to happen in the book that didn't happen is when the Coke machine first kills uh, the first guy, he's like firing uh, his gun into it. And so there's like shattered pieces. So I thought somebody was getting impaled by glass shards. And the Coke machine starts firing bottles out. And I thought they were going to be just slamming in the, him and in the head. I thought the same thing. And, but instead they just break on the ground to make it slippery so he can't stand up. <laughs> and then uh, he yells at Ev, who's with him at the time, to go unplug it. Ev grabs the plug and it is unplugged already. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and he's like, I can feel it's going to explode. <laughs> Get away. And Ev runs away. And just like that classic, classic TV show editing you can see the jump cut when he's no longer there for a split second and then everything explodes. Like a fucking episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. Yes! It's amazing. Yeah. And I, I oh, so happy. It was, it's not, not the death I wanted, but I loved the death I got. You know what's not the death I wanted? Tell me. Ruth's death in this miniseries. <laughs> oh boy. My one question about that is why... 
<laughs> why, did it, why did it happen like yeah, that? Let's talk about Ruth's death. Okay. So this was interesting. Ruth walks into the police station and then into the doll room. <laughs> totally reasonable. And all of the dolls, it's like um, that Puppet Master movie. It is a scene out of a different movie. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of the dolls come to life, and they're kind of like evil, like like those little puppets. And one has a weapon, and they're all running around, and they're tying her shoelaces together so that she trips. And she's trying to call for help, and they're cutting the phone cord. And there's a scarecrow one that literally looks <sighs> just like a Muppet. And, and there's this this bust sitting on a, a pedestal and she falls and another doll is pushing the pedestal. Just rocking it back and forth. And, and they're yelling, this... it's too late, Ruth. <laughs> it's too late. And we get this scene where the the bust falls on her and rather than cutting away because like clearly it would be obvious to the audience that it yeah. hit her and, yeah. and hurt her no they show it they show this foam <laughs> just clearly styrofoam just bouncing off of this woman's head and she falls she falls down like a fucking community theater <laughs> And so that's why Monster and Ev are back in Haven. They're looking for her because she's missing, which led me to guess that because we don't get sissy in this. um, Oh, yeah. They kind of combined that and they except for the personality part (laughs) that we were going to find Ruth in the shed later. Yeah, you called that early. Yeah, you did. I, I didn't see that coming. Because uh, why would I? It's, <laughs> it's absurd. Uh, at this point, Guard is uh, now knows something's going on. He's thrown away three perfectly good bottles of alcohol that have been hidden <laughs> around his house. Just systematically destroyed them. He pulls them out and he's going to drink them and then he pours them out. Yeah, because you know what we all love about Jim Gardner is his self-control. <laughs> and, and why did he lose his self-control at the party? But when he's... Back in Haven and like the town's going nuts and people are missing. He suddenly is like, no, I can beat this. <laughs> well, also, he l- just loses it because uh, Hilly's dad tells him, shoot the pickle, which shoot. left us all very confused. We had to look up shoot the pickle. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's completely arbitrary that the one thing that makes him fall off the wagon after he comes back isn't. The constantly walking around and actually getting what I wanted, I think I mentioned in the other books, is like book two would have been better if it was Gardner going about the town Mm -hmm. and interacting with the people as they change. We get that. It's really cool. It is really interesting. But none of that affects him. He just like laughs it off really weirdly (laughs) when he sees the, the typewriter, the automatic writing typewriter. He's just like... (laughs) <laughs> weird <laughs> uh, but yeah the thing that sends him over the edge is he's looking for the state cops because he decides he's gonna tell him everything but the weird old coke machine man tells him to go to the bar and then he's like okay and then he does yeah yeah and then he hangs out with hilly's dad and they have they get hammered and guard drunkenly wanders himself to a gazebo Oh, my God. And that's when we find out the Tommyknockers are land sharks. 
<laughs> because for no reason, the gazebo lights up and a, a bolt of energy comes tearing through the ground under a statue blowing the statue off the pedestal. And then he proceeds to watch all the Tommyknockers gather at Town Hall while he hides behind the tiniest post in the gazebo. Like 20 feet away from <laughs> So close. <laughs> and, and they're talking about him as this is happening. And it just keeps cutting to him. But it's like this gazebo is like the, the post is like four <laughs> inches wide. And you can clearly see him. It, this scene was so weird, too, because it's all of the people in town gather on the lawn and at first i thought like the pedestal the statue was on was gonna turn into some weird gadget a piece of technology they were all working on together no it's not it's just they knocked a statue over for no reason <laughs> they <hate> statues <laughs> but they they gather around and bobby comes out of the town hall and gives this weird she preaches proselytizing <laughs> speech about how they're gonna become they the way that they show the hive mind because obviously in the book they wouldn't need to all gather in one place because they can speak to each other through their minds from anywhere the way they show this is they all go yes at the same time <laughs> and then they all touch hands yeah they don't hold hands they just extend their arms all the way out and palm them each other mm -hmm. at arm's length <laughs> and they they're like uh nancy who is somehow become the voice of the town is like, your, your guy isn't becoming, we need to kill him. And Bobby goes, no, let me take care of him. And then Gardner just steps out of the gazebo and everyone goes, get him. And then they do. Which leads to a, a really cool scene though. So they chase him sort of to the edge of town. He's going to cross the town line and, you know, in the book, it was Ruth who tried to leave and it was a sort of invisible force pushing back against her and she couldn't get out. And I, I liked the way they did it in the miniseries because it was actually in this scene, an effective use of the random Tommy knocker light that can mm. go anywhere at once. It, it sort of split the road and it stalled his truck. And so we get a, a really cool visual representation of that force keeping him in and i'd love that bobby just pulls up real casually behind him and is like get in like he he's so good. defeated he knows there's no way of getting out and she takes him back well which is something else the miniseries improves on is when she takes him back to the farm everybody in town is working on the dig site at once yeah. made way more sense <laughs> uh so <laughs> now we get gardner trying to make something happen he knows something weird's going on in the shed he makes his way in. What did you guys think of the shed? The Be shed was awesome. Best part. It's, I think you said it, Josh, that they saved the entire budget <laughs> of this miniseries for the shed and the inside of the ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they're great. It's so amazing. It, it's also almost like it's from another movie because the second he goes in, the first shot, I literally said it to you guys. I'm like, what am I looking at? <laughs> yeah. I I could not visually parse what you were looking at in the shed. And it is such an amazing visualization of like something truly alien. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was really glad. So we, we get him seeing all the people in the stalls and the wires in their heads. 
and he first sees Ev and then he sees Ruth. And I was like, I wonder if they're going to if they're going to go for it. And then they don't show you, Pete. They show you his two front paws running in, and in him air. whining and it him whining. Is, oh, God, it broke me. It's all of those sp- practical effects are fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. <laughs> The whole show, it made the two hours that led up to that point worth it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, the only mistake they made is cutting to the full shot of the dog where he still looked happy. He did. <laughs> Although that kind of healed my heart a little bit. Like it, it ruined the tension, but I was like, the dog's okay. <laughs> yeah, he was just glad to be involved. I don't know if you guys will be on the same page with me on this. So Gardner goes inside. He pulls out another bottle that he's hidden in the house and he is holding this bottle of vodka and he dumps it. And then he goes and is going to fake becoming by pulling one of his own teeth. That was cool. I liked it. Yeah. Way more interesting than in the book. But I argue what would have been cooler is because he's been smashing bottles and not drinking when the time came. What if we saw him just down a so much of this bottle and we're like oh fuck he's done it and then he goes in and pulls the tooth like he did it so he could yank his <laughs> that, tooth out that would have made perfect sense but i mean the visual of him tearing out one of his molars oh. with a fucking monkey wrench <laughs> sober like that's that is pretty br- that's there was pretty not brutal. enough losing teeth for me and and overall <laughs> general, yeah, yeah. I, like i like that they subtly started showing actors with less teeth or at least their teeth got really gross it was literally like every actor lost one tooth yeah and okay so he pulls off this ruse uh him and bobby uh have non-gentical related sex that we know of if there were gentacles we would have seen <laughs> we, them. i would have hoped we would have seen them <laughs> and then they make their way to the ship because guard convinces her that he started becoming now so they should do this together so it's him who actually pushes that you and me let's make it happen so much more interesting yes. so much more character driven yeah the this plot point is uh a market improvement yes they uncover very quickly they uncover <laughs> the hatch <laughs> And put their hands on it, and luckily they were on the elevator already, <laughs> because the floor underneath them, which did get me because I thought it was going to open up. Yeah, me too. And then they just start dropping, and I was like, oh, shit, all right. <laughs> and they, they make their way into the ship. Here is something that bothered me a little bit. I don't know how The rest of it? <laughs> <laughs> that the ship was right side up. Part of the, oh, the yeah. one of the big things is that they're climbing through the whole thing sideways, And that's one of the reasons things look so crazy and it's so messed up. But to me, that posits that this ship did not crash. It more seems like it landed. Well, I feel like that was that that makes sense with what else we learn once we enter the ship. Ben, tell us what else we learn in the journey in the ship. Um, We learn that you can throw the rest of the book out of a window (laughs) (laughs) because the Tommyknockers are not dead. They have been hibernating, I I guess, guess. because they go down and they're exploring the ship and they find the helm and a a (laughs) fucking Tommyknocker attacks them. Jim cuts its head off with a fucking glass uh, (laughs) baleth. Yes! Luckily, Bobby tried to clothesline him while holding it in her other hand so that he could get it later. 
And yeah, you find out that the the Tommyknockers, it, it is not like in the book where the people in town are transforming to take the ship, I no, guess. They are not becoming Tommyknockers. Yes. They are becoming batteries. Yeah, yeah. the, the Tommyknockers are using them to bring themselves back to life. I cannot decide whether this is a better ending or not. <laughs> is it? I, I, I think it makes more sense. It, it does make more sense, I guess. Although, I like the ending of the book better if our theory is true that it's the ship that is really the alien. Yes. But in the miniseries, it, like visually, it works better mm-hmm. to make them batteries. and For sure. So I guess I like both for what each of them does differently. Yeah, I think it's more menacing. I like the idea of this ship terraforming planets Mm -hmm. that make people super smart but lose all common sense and destroy each other and then moving on. Yeah, but you need like another part to convey all that. And I would not. (laughs) Yeah. I would not do it. I would not do another (laughs) hour and a half of this. Uh, Three hours is the cap for the story. (laughs) The lore, I guess, it it works. And... It's the early 90s. You need a big finale Mm. fight with the aliens. Because if it ended like the book, everyone would have been like, what the (laughs) hell was that? Don't know how I feel about Bobby just being fine. Yeah, he kills the the Tommyknocker, uh, which I did think it was a cool effect. We see like a skeletal type Tommyknocker and then it transforms into more of a human shape you get the feeling that it like sucks energy out of bobby and then gets a more human face yeah so i guess hearing you guys describe that i actually do buy what happens when he beheads it because bobby gets her her essence back she's no longer like looking like she's about to die she doesn't get her teeth back but she looks healthy and normal again but that i feel like would only work if we we would have to buy into the concept that that Tommy Knocker had been taking from her all along? No, I think it's okay because he took from her before he was beheaded. So it made be- it just yeah. made that a connection and yeah. then there ended severing the connection. So she took whatever sure. energy he had from the townspeople, maybe. Because none I of them got better. Yes. Oh no. It just it reeked so much of network suits being like. The ending of this book is a downer. <laughs> Everyone has to survive. All the the nice people have to survive. You can have the hero sacrifice himself. That's hero as long as his as it's his choice and it's heroic. But the love interest has to survive. Everyone has to be okay. You're they, totally right. They yeah. find yeah. they find David not on Altair Four, but in a capsule in the cockpit. That was fine. I was yeah. Fine it, it made sense yeah. as opposed to putting him on some junk planet. And they they get out and then they make their escape and they realize that if they go back up there, the whole town is going to be there. So so they're either trapped down there with the Tommyknockers or they go upstairs with the townspeople. So they're stuck between a rock and a guard place. Uh, oh my. God. <laughs> I would like to take this time to announce my resignation from the podcast. And, and mine. <laughs> then we can start our own. <laughs> uh, the worst. I know you're going to make that the title of the fucking episode. You stupid piece of shit. <laughs> I, so that joke went in two parts. 
one where I was like, that's hilarious. And then the more I sat with it, I was like, that's dumb as hell. But I'm going to see it physically hurt both of them when I say it. And I got everything I wanted out of it. Uh, so Guard essentially decides that he's going to send them up, but he will destroy the elevator so that they can't get back down. And then they found the... Um, it re- reminded me of another sci-fi movie, and I keep wanting to say Flight of the Navigator, but that's not it. Because the cockpit is like like Da Vinci's human yeah. drawing, where mm-hmm. it's just all stretched out and holding on to stuff. It's, it's all like one of those out. gyroscopes you strap into at the mall. Yeah, except, except for this one. Yeah, <laughs> like needles in your temples. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just burrs into his head, so he straps himself into this. A Tommyknocker tries to force his way in and he forces the door closed with his mind and cuts off his hand and he starts bleeding. And I was like, yes, we're getting like the the bloody nose, like him like probably coughing up blood. Cuts away to them up top and the townspeople encircling them. Cuts back, no blood, it's all gone <laughs> for whatever reason. TV. <laughs> and then uh, you see all these other Tommyknockers who are waking up start grabbing their plexiglass axes and running towards the controls and guard pilots the ship up out of the air. People are falling down these crevices <laughs> in the ground. Yeah, trees are falling on people. <laughs> it's hilarious. It is a hilarious ending. Oh, we should say that there's a body inside that gyroscope that is clearly just <laughs> made of plastic and guard grabs it and pulls it out. And I don't know if you guys have ever pulled a body out of something, but if it's been dead long enough, the limbs all just go, they just drop. He pulls it out, and it stinks in the exact pose. It's just T-pose. It is so clearly (laughs) a styrofoam dummy. What's better is that he turns and throws it. I don't know if you guys have ever thrown a dead body. Okay, you you keep referring to what a dead body feels like. I'm... That's no. The point is when you throw <laughs> oh a body, uh, their their limbs at least flail in the wind, <laughs> but it stays fully stretched out. Well, it's it like is and cartwheels through the sky. It, it looks is, like a blow up doll. It, it really is. Does. It looks like a bad Halloween prop. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> uh, but he pulls it up and he flies into the sky, and it look it looks the ship when we finally see it looks like a city. Yeah. It's the kind of the visual. It's crazy. Yeah, it's super weird looking. And it flies up and everybody's looking up and then it just explodes. <laughs> In green, of course. The whole explosion is green. Mm-hmm. And everybody just stares up and watches it. And, and then as normal. Bobby screams and it's like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and that's it, man. That's It is. That's the Tommy Knockers miniseries. <laughs> The rest of the townspeople disappear, and it's just oh, uh, Bobby freeze. Uh, oh yeah, we forgot MP, that uh, yeah. Ev kills Nancy by lightly grabbing the back of her neck, <laughs> and then Bobby frees Pete uh, Peter, who is fine. Yeah, totally fine. Thank goodness. Ruth though, Ruth dead. Oh. Yeah, I wish they would have at least showed her. Like they have them obscured, so you can't really see the details of them. I would have liked to see Ruth's head. Yeah. Like at least, because you like what? you can. Well, so that in theory, the bust killed her is what you're. I think you're oh, supposed yeah, to believe. Yeah, yeah, right. I would like to. I think it would have been cooler if they would have cut away. We saw the bust land on the ground after hearing it hit her, and then to see like a mm-hmm. a cool 
appropriate for TV broken skull. I yeah. think that would have been probably like a much cooler way of doing that. I like that. Yeah. So I think uh, it's time to lock in our ratings on Oof. the Tommyknockers miniseries. <laughs> ben, do you want to kick things off? Oh, do I have to? This is so fucking hard, guys. Because <laughs> would you say it's put you between? Oh I hate you. It's <laughs> since recording our last episode, I keep coming back to it and going. I gave Tommy Knockers a three out of five. <laughs> Why? And then I watch this and I'm like, I think I'm gonna give it a three out of five. <laughs> Why? I would recommend this miniseries if you're going to watch it the way we did, hanging out with your friends and goofing. Three reluctant blue chambray shirts <laughs> out of five. <laughs> Uh, for me, this is on this is on par with uh, with Rose Red in that, yeah, watching it sometimes I was like, oh god, are we still? Is this that important? We have three hours and we're spending it. We're spending a <laughs> chunk of time on this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't add to anything. But when it's all said and done, and we are are thinking back to the the, the jokes that we made, or as we're remembering the the scenes, I want just a, a loop gif of him throwing that alien body and I just will use it for every comment I get forever so I'll just post it like there are so many things like that that I really enjoyed would I watch it again by myself no oh, no never but I would definitely like do this again watch it with people so I am also gonna go with three out of five blue chambray shirts CM I'm going to judge this based on a couple of different things I first, I also would not watch this again by myself, but I would show it to other people mm -hmm. and I would enjoy it that way. Uh, the second is that I had such a hard time, like with, with some of the other mini series we did. Rose Red, very difficult. And if any of our listeners have listened to those episodes, you can hear me lose my mind. <laughs> and it was so long. What the Tommy Knockers mini series really has going for it is that it does not overstay its welcome. It's three hours, which is pretty long, but not too bad. I mean, there are movies in the theater that are three hours. Sure. So that does help it a lot. I also really appreciated some of the changes. And whether my appreciation extends so far as to me preferring those changes over what happened in the book, I don't know. Like, I kind of appreciate them on two different levels. And that I think that's really cool and I like that. So I was anticipating hating this and not giving it very many blue chambray shirts, but I'm actually going to give it four out of five blue chambray shirts. Fair. That is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next episode where we are covering another Patreon selected book by Bryant Burnett, The Colorado Kid. We are going to be reading through chapter nine. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm C.M. Alexander reminding you, it wasn't the plate that kept them out. It was you. Hey everyone, C.M. Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Tommyknockers Part 4. We hope you enjoyed it. Special thank you again to Casey Bauer for giving us a reason to cover this and the miniseries through their generous Patreon donation. If we haven't covered your favorite King book yet, you can force our hand by signing up for our $50 tier at patreon.com slash dairypublicradio.
In addition to that perk, you get a ton more stuff when you sign up for our Patreon, including access to our Patreon-exclusive storytelling-style podcast, named after one of my favorite King shorts, The Club. If donating isn't your thing, that's cool. Tell your friends about us, or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We're not part of a big network, and we're trying really hard to keep our show ad-free as long as possible. But it's hard, you guys. Your reviews keep us in the charts and get us more listens, so we appreciate that. As always, find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at Dairy Public Radio. Our website is constantreaders.org, and our email is dairypublicradio at gmail.com. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.